0: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Week 12 injury update. DraftKings ownership. Dr. Jesse Morse from the Fantasy Doctors will be along a little bit later on to talk about some of the more long-term injuries. Uh, for the fantasy football season to get you ready for the fantasy football playoffs if you have some of these guys on your team how extensive are their injuries when will they return at least in his best estimation he's been pretty good so far this season so you might want to tune into that as always you can check out the time codes to see when we're talking about certain things and if you want to get into a draw for 20 dk dollars smash the like button for the episode leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and tell me the one player if you were playing 10 lineups on DraftKings this week, that would be in every single one of your lineups. Any position, just you know, do that. Then you're in the draw for 20 DK bucks. If you want to get into a draw for 50 DK dollars, now you might want to check this one out. You have to subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review up there with your DraftKings handle. Something you like about the show, boom, you're in that draw. For fifty DK dollars, I'll announce the winners on Monday's live Pat Mayo Experience, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the DraftKings YouTube channel. I will be live 9:30 a.m. on the DraftKings YouTube channel and the Pat Mayo Experience Facebook page Sunday morning with Garion in the cast, taking your questions, getting you ready for the week. And if you want to play in the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings listeners' league, hit the description of this video or podcast, and you can find the link. Fifteen dollars to play, three max entry, no rake. So there is forty-five thousand dollars of guaranteed money up for grabs for the listeners and viewers out there of the pat mayo experience i'm in there i'm dead money so it's even better than no rake it's no rake plus 45 bucks joining me to break this all down from dailyroto.com is ricky sanders he of the gpp winning mentality at the moment ricky how many gpps have you won in like the last month
1: uh technically i've won two i've had top four finishes in four so but two i've i've secured first by myself if we're, if we're being you know sticklers there that's
0: kind of incredible tell the people <laughs> what you told me right before you came on because i when we think about like people playing daily fantasy and what it means to their life like i, I just think this is what you just told me was incredible so just tell the people
1: Yeah. You were saying, you know, like how, how does it feel to be rich? And I I don't like to say things like that, but for the first time, I kind of like felt the difference from these GPP wins in the sense that I paid off my student loans today, which, you know, coming out of college, I thought was impossible. We were talking like hundred K worth that I just thought was going to be never ending. And today I finally hit, you know, the send button on the last of it. So I won't have that coming out of the account ever again. And it just a, Good feeling.
0: Yeah. And like you say, you're getting married coming up soon too. So yeah. now you can invest the rest of the money to have the most extravagant wedding you've ever seen.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's not gonna last in my account for for long, but at least it won't be coming out going to like navigate. At least it'll be going to a, a better purpose, which in this instance is my fiance.
0: Wow, and that's incredible, man. Congratulations on Thank everything. You. Like that just getting out of debt is It's so huge. Uh, Once I got myself at a student loan debt, that was great. Then I took on a mortgage. That was less great. So now I'm just in (laughs) debt for the rest of my life. But when you get these wins, and you won one in basketball as well, uh, along with the footballs, like the footballs, I sound like like (laughs) I'm a boomer at this point. But was it? The same process that you've been using over the years, and it just clicked this time around, because that's how GPPs work. People expect, like, oh, I played three weeks of the Millionaire Maker and I didn't win. I'm doing something wrong. That's not actually how it (laughs) works. But, like, was the process similar? Is it an improved process and everything just clicked at the right time? Uh, What was different?
1: So it's weird because my process for the different sports is different. Um, For football, I'm an MME player, and I've kind of adapted. Uh, You know, I do the GPP recaps, so I see, like, the DraftKings million-dollar winners. I've been doing this for a few years. I've kind of adapted my play and adjusted my player pools. We can talk about it in regards to this week coming up. In regards to, like, what these winners have mostly been winning with, Whereas in basketball, I'm more of a single entry player. And I like to think, you know, where can I get an advantage on the field with ownership and I do that quite often. It doesn't always work out. But in that sense, it's the same process it's always been for me. It just so happened it was a night where Jeremy Lamb was chalked. And I liked TJ Warren just about as much, knowing he'd be like one-tenth the ownership. So it, it was you know my same process there. But my football process, for sure, is ever-changing. There, there's no question this year is way different than, than it's ever been.
0: Well, I think that's a key point to hit on. You see that, and this translates whether it's basketball, football, baseball, golf. It doesn't matter the MMEs that you're playing, the giant GPPs. You identify a player that is going to be the chalk, and we can talk about that right now, like this week. Um, In terms of DraftKings ownership, as provided by FanshareSports.com, if you use the promo code PME, get yourself a discount to check this out. And clearly, it does provide a service if you do want to win in some of these things. But, like, I'm looking at it right now. you got Baker. Uh, as the chalk quarterback not so much that it would really make that big of a difference but like Miles Sanders over 20 percent Julio close to 20 percent Zach Ertz breaching into the double digits as the highest owned at each of the positions so what you're saying is that like let's say you had Miles Sanders at his price point at five thousand dollars and there's another running back who's right next to him who you like equally as much and maybe you don't that the move would always be to pivot onto the other player and not eat the chalk if
1: all things were being equal so I'm very stubborn when it comes to the running back position in the sense that I either want a cheap back like James White, who can basically just be a receiver, or I want workhorse backs that I know are going to touch the ball 20 plus times. I mean, that's how I set my player pool. So if you have a chalky, cheaper player like Miles Sanders that you're not sure is going to get a full workload and you you know have – reports that J Jai is gonna work his way in, that's a clear under the field guy. The Miami guys this week, clear under the field guys. Whereas, you know, Alvin Kamara, some someone like that, where I do feel good, the matchup is great, is just a guy that I'm willing to go way over the field even if they're chalk. The running back position is one where I want the solidified touches, and I'm willing to go against the ownership at all other positions. But if you really do have a true workhorse in a smash spot, I I don't ever really think it's a guy that you want to, you know, go under the field on. I mean, injuries are always a thing in NFL. If it's going to beat you, it's going to beat you. But I want the workhorse touching the ball a ton of times, and I basically, you know, pick two or three of them that I want a lot of, and I let the the, you know, the volatility kind of run at wide receiver and tight end because, you know, there's less opportunities for them on a game-to-game basis.
0: Alright, well let's use this example then. Uh, Devontae Parker projects to be pretty highly owned this week, uh, at least per Fan Share Sports into the double digits. He is $5,200 on DraftKings. Curtis Samuel is $5,400. Now let's say you had those two players projected yeah. out exactly the same, and they're probably pretty close. They're probably within a point of each other. But if you knew that you could get Curtis Samuel at 1% versus a Devontae Parker at 16%. Would the move always be to use Curtis Samuel?
1: Yes, in my opinion. I mean... I'm not a huge fan of chalky receivers. I mean, it's more so the chalky high-end receivers that people are going to be on because I do think that there's plenty of volume in like the mid-tier that have been, you know, winning formulas on my rosters, by the way. I mean like 1% owned Jarvis Landry. I've had a 2% owned Stephon Diggs. I had a 3% owned Calvin Ridley. It's it's those kind of guys that people aren't on while they're on the Michael Thomases of the world. So it's a little different with a Devontae Parker who's like 5,200 but just given those facts that you gave me it would still be Curtis Samuel for me I don't love the implied team total for Carolina and uh Alan the quarterback looked awful last week but again it's not like you know Ryan Fitzpatrick is someone I want to rely on so given those facts it's clearly Samuel for me and if you know the Dolphins beat me they beat me
0: yeah and then th- I just want to speak more to the process rather than those two yeah. actual players themselves yep. that this is the and. Just because that you pivot away from the chalk ownership on a re- on a receiver, on a tight end, whatever position it might be across any sport, doesn't mean that you're going to be right about it. But of the, the factor of winning, if you are right about it, is exponential versus being right about the chalk player.
1: Exactly. It's, it's more about, like, if you've looked at, you know, maybe the last three or four weeks, you've had Michael Thomas chalky every single week, and he's been a good play every single week. But has he been a part of the winning lineup? And that's what you want to figure out is like, okay, Michael Thomas gets you 24, 25 DraftKings, but how about all these 1% owned receivers who went for 30 plus and ended up in the winning lineup? So Michael Thomas is extremely safe. Likely a guy you want to play in cash most weeks, but you have to ask yourself when he's 50% owned, do you want to take the chance on him or do you want to take the chance on some of these lower owned guys who if they score even two fantasy points more than Michael Thomas for cheaper, it's going to be hard to beat those lineups You know, with you having Thomas locked in. that That should be the thought process in my opinion.
0: And when you think about someone like Michael Thomas, so like last week we were looking to like millionaire maker winning lineups or high end GPP winning lineups. I would guess that more probably had Christian McCaffrey in it than Michael Thomas solely because McCaffrey outscored every other running back by 10 points. So he was worth it. Like, Thomas was worth the price per dollar that you paid for him based on his output, but where he was so expensive, he made you pass on another tier of receiver who all did kind of well at lower ownership where you could have had two of those guys versus one Michael
1: Thomas and someone who was just worse. Exactly, and that's why I almost always prioritize those top backs if you have a christian mccaffrey and you have him you know locked in across many many lineups all of a sudden you could work in some john brown and some of these lower guys who are better than thomas and it's it's just impossible to replace a 30 plus performance uh, from one of these guys it's it's impossible especially you know this week it doesn't look like you know the pricing is as loose as it's, it's been in other weeks so you really do need to focus on the backs that you're getting good value with i mean on on daily roto we've got like something like four guys who are positive values. It's five guys, I think, um, at the running back position. So it's a really difficult week. And I just would rather have that locked in and play the volatility of the receivers than vice versa. And you kind of nailed the point as to why last week.
0: So if you want to get a subscription to DailyRoto.com, I would highly suggest you do so. I myself as a member, Uh, the Millionaire Maker winner last week is a member at DailyRoto.com. That's now double-digit millionaires for the membership at DailyRoto.com. But if you use the promo code the PME, you'll get yourself a discount. Highly recommend everyone do it, even though it's just for showdown and just do what Drewby does and win every showdown slate. I mean, (laughs) that, that, that seems more than worth it to me. But let's talk about some of these injuries right away. So right now, projected at running back I have I don't know what to do with Matt Brady. I don't know if he's gonna play or not I haven't seen a San Francisco injury report as of yet maybe later in the show that will come out but I currently have him in for Sunday night that doesn't really affect the DraftKings slate but that could affect your season-long lineup so I have him as in Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson as returning to the Redskins this week and Benny Snell returning for the Steelers which I do think is important because I had initially liked Trey Edmonds a little bit based on the distribution of carries that I've seen between him and Jordan or him and Jalen Samuel so far Likely out, Jordan Howard has not been cleared for contact yet, so it's probably unlikely that he's going to play against Seattle this week, and Devonta Freeman and James Conner uh, have officially been ruled out. So what do we see from the running back position? I had Davis on my DraftKings show on Thursday, and essentially my entire thesis was, I want to build lineups that have both McCaffrey and Kamara in them, and see if that's even viable. Um, You can make lineups that aren't horrible with them, but they're not good at the same time. But would you recommend (laughs) that people try to squeeze those two into a lineup or just go a
1: different direction? So on podcast, I declared this was the first time in about a month that I definitively like a running back more than I like Alvin Kamara or more than I like McCaffrey. And that's Alvin Kamara this week. I mean, you look at this Carolina defense, 32nd in DVOA, just the recent sample sizes of workhorses. I know Brian Hill didn't work out, but mind you, he did have a touchdown called back. And, you know, I almost threw my computer out the window when it happened, but it did happen. And the weeks before that, we saw, we've seen, you know, just. Backs go crazy, and backs go crazy not only you know in the running game, but also in the passing game. And like, who's better as a dual threat than Alvin Kamara, who's seen ten plus targets in back-to-back weeks? You had like that Aaron Jones three touchdown game. You had Derrick Henry score both via the air and via the ground, uh, and you had that Tevin Coleman four TD game against this Carolina team. So you have to love Alvin Kamara at eighty-two hundred. The question is beyond that. Can you make it work with McCaffrey? And I think there's a little bit of flexibility to me this week where I'm not saying you have to roster both, but it's a scenario where I would like two of three between him, Derek Henry, and Alvin Kamara. I think those are the building blocks for me. And if it just so turns out that I can get you know, more of the receivers I want by going Derek Henry against Jacksonville, who's allowing the you know, highest yards per carry to uh, opposing, I guess, rushers of any team in the league – I'm okay with that. I mean, Derrick Henry five targets the past two weeks, he looks a little bit more involved there. I'm fine going with the chalk there, knowing that if I go with both those guys, I probably need to be on, you know, the 2% owned receivers as opposed to just going straight chalk down the lineup because I do think those guys will be high owned. I just like their prospects more than, you know, some of these other names. Like I think, you know, Sanders, Ballage, those will be guys that people go to for for cheaper. I just don't trust them.
0: Would Derek Derek Henry $6,900 on DraftKings? And you talked about there's a mix of three guys that you want to use. Would you go to any of these cheaper running backs or would you just allocate those funds to different positions?
1: I think, I mean, so in my MME build, I'm going to have exposure to some of these cheaper guys. Don't get me wrong, it's just not going to be a high exposure. I like to go 50, 60, 70% on the guys that I really like. As for the Miles Sanders and the Ballages of the world, those are guys that I'm likely to cap at about 10% exposure. And if I'm playing single entry, they're clear fades for me. So am I open to them? Sure. Would I rather allocate it at a position like wide receiver? I mean, you talked about some of those injuries to Pittsburgh, which I actually think is really interesting in terms of value at other positions. Uh, If you're looking for volatility to kind of play at another position, you you don't want to play a Miles Sanders. You don't want to play Ballage. How about some of these, you know, Pittsburgh pass catchers in this matchup? I like, you know, someone like a Deontay Johnson who I think gets more volume, and I really, really like a Vance McDonald this week, who uh, we now have up to a twenty percent, you know, projected market share. And I mean, you just look at no Connor, no Juju, and a, a you know, Cleveland team that that's clearly beatable here, and a tight end position where you you talked about Zach Ertz being the chalk. I think there will be some ownership there. I'm just willing to go cheap. I, I don't have a ton of faith in Zach Ertz or really the Philly offense without um, Deshaun Jackson in action. I really, I, I haven't had too much interest in this offense almost all year long when he has been out because I think he brought a different dimension and opened up the field for Ertz. So if it's going to be the Ertz Stone Chalk, I would rather go with like a cheap tight end as opposed to paying up for him, you know, comparatively to the Zach Ertz and a cheap running back build.
0: So let's say Benny Snell is active, and it does look like he's going to be for Pittsburgh. I do think that yeah. I, I want to hear some more reports, but, and this might be a best-guess scenario, but where I want to play, even like you said, like McCaffrey, Kamara, Kamara, Derek Henry, those are the three guys that I've been gravitating towards as well. I do think that Saquon is in a very interesting spot this week, solely because the Bears' run defense is not very good. And maybe <laughs> coming off the bye, he's a bit healthier, they can figure out what what went wrong right before the bye week against the Jets. Uh, and I just think that he might be a very low-owned play. And if you're talking about workhorse, we know that he's going to be a workhorse. It's just not a very good matchup. But if we think about like cheap running backs, I'm good. Like I went full fade on Brian Hill last week. I'm good with going full fade on Miles Sanders this week if he's gonna be 20% owned. I just don't really believe in him that much. If he beats me, he beats me good. I mean, I lose every week anyway. This isn't going to be a critical decision for me. Uh, If I wanted to find a cheap running back, though, like Balazs was one that stuck out, solely because of the price point at $4,400. But if Snell is healthy, like A lot of people just think Jalen Samuels because the very first game that we all used him at four thousand dollars and he was great because he caught like twelve passes. It doesn't seem like that's going to be in the mix for way. If you think about how this game flow goes, it just seems like it's going to be a lot of running for the Steelers. And if they're going to just turn around and hand the ball off, it's very rarely Jalen Samuels who's that guy. Even in the games where they were trailing last week in hand or two weeks ago against the last Thursday against the Browns and they were handing the ball off, it was to Trey Edmonds. He was their runner. I think that Benny Snell is ahead of him on the depth chart. If that's the case, then you have a Benny Snell against one of the bottom three run defenses in football who could carry the ball 15 times at $4,500. Now, there is absolutely no floor for his receiving game. He could be a legitimate zero. But if he is the one getting the goal line work for Pittsburgh, I expect them to score in this game. That could be two touchdown upside. Or am I overthinking this and saying, you know what? Sony Michelle is (laughs) $4,600. I can say the exact same thing about him. And I know that if they do get around the goal line they probably give him a crack at scoring a touchdown and no one's going to use him
1: at 4600. See, these are the backs that I'm always, like, wishy-washy on. But I will say this is good timing because it just came across our, like, Daily Roto writer chat. I forgot who it was who posted it. But here's the tweet from Alex Kazora, who's a a beat writer for Pittsburgh. He was asked, do you think Benny Snell will get a decent workload? His answer was yes, as much as possible. Have to manage his conditioning for a rookie, but he's the best runner they have, and the Bengals haven't stopped anyone. So it sounds like he is expecting that exact role that you're talking about for Benny Snell and i don't know about you but i'm just kind of over the uh sony michelle experience if i can get a different tony michelle by a different name it'll just make me feel better even though you know i you know new england is a decent favorite in that game i just have a feeling that vegas is kind of undervaluing how good this cowboys offense is so i worry the game flow is not going to go the same way that vegas thinks it is and i don't have any question in this one that whenever the Bengals are on the field they have a chance to get blown out and If this offense can move the ball at all, and maybe this is a nice compliment to like a Vance McDonald, because I think Vance McDonald can be busy and get you there in terms of just volume. If they get to the goal line and he doesn't finish it off, well, maybe Benny Snell could be that guy. And all of a sudden you don't have a a game stack. You're not playing Mason Rudolph or anything, but the Steelers get you there. And this is just another guy who's not chalky who has, like you said, the upside, I think you probably are going to need the multiple touchdowns for him to factor into the Millie, but do I think that's within the range of outcomes? Absolutely.
0: And he is the price point that we need if we want to jam in all these yep. higher-end running backs because some of the, you know, pay-down receivers just aren't really viable options, to tell you the truth. Maybe you want to play two tight ends to save that salary cap if you do want to hit another top-end receiver if you try to pile in these expensive running backs. The only other thing, like, Jordan Howard hasn't officially been ruled out yet. He hasn't been cleared for contact, but I guess there's probably, like, a 10% chance that he plays on Sunday. If he plays, I want yeah. to play him in this matchup.
1: Yeah, I'm certainly okay with him. I mean, again, he's not the, like, 20-plus touch kind of back that he's, I'm he's – totally... close. He's close, though, he's, in this offense. Yeah, I do like the, the dual threat. I guess Derrick Henry, you know, touting him and then saying, I love the dual threat guys. You know, he has five targets in two weeks, and I'm happy about that. You know, I, I'm kind of talking about both sides of my mouth. But – I, I don't know. I, it's the, the committees scare me a bit. I, I would like to mix them in as opposed to use them in single entry. They're not single entry plays for me. I know Philadelphia is favored here. I think I prefer the Seattle side of this game in terms of betting, in terms of DFS, in terms of just about everything, which it seems the market does as well, which scares me a little. But if Jordan Howard plays and – This is a very competitive game. I I can certainly see it. I mean, I think they want to use Miles Sanders mostly in his receiving role, which is why this Jay Ajayi report came out that said he's going to play more. And I know they talked about him last week, and he really didn't play that much. Uh, But still, I think that's where they're comfortable with Sanders. So if if Howard does play, I don't want to talk anyone off a ledge with him. He's just not my kind of back.
0: I just think that he would be in line and I see exactly what you see that the collective wisdom should be just play Seattle guys. This is going to work out really great, (laughs) but they're favored. Everyone's betting on Seattle. The line isn't moving whatsoever. Uh, So there's something sneaky going on with the Philadelphia Eagles this week. Uh, Maybe it's just a West coast team playing an Eastern time zone one o'clock game. Maybe maybe that's all it breaks down to. And that's why Vegas is leaning this way. But if Howard is active, I don't know about the bulk of what he's going to get. But if I talk about someone like Benny Snell, who's like $400 cheaper, we need him to get multiple touchdowns to hit value in a better matchup mind you but Jadavion clown is a bit banged up and we do know and we've seen that even if the overall workload for jordan howard isn't what it normally is he's probably going to get all the goal line touches and maybe that factors into jay ajayi as well if howard if howard is out does jay ajayi at three thousand dollars do anything for you
1: uh with that bad knee i mean i would stare at that price point i don't think i would act on it i mean it It's viable if you believe these reports. It's just the fact that these same reports came out last week. It's the fact that Seattle, you want to attack their secondary. It's, uh, I mean, 3K, it's fine. I, I think the answer would be no, would be he probably wouldn't even make my player pool. But if he found the end zone, you would find me in agony, you know, the middle of the day on Sunday. Well,
0: it would be the same thing. Like If you think that Jordan Howard would be the one who would get the goal line touches if Ajayi is yeah. active for this game and Boston Scott plays a role that is insignificant, then you could almost just kind of you know paste the Jordan Howard goal line workload onto Jay Ajayi. And if that was the case, he would be viable at $3,000. It's
1: just the knee that scares me is that...
0: Well, he, in fairness, he has been rested for the past 18 months.
1: Yes, yes. It's just these guys with the chronic knee issues. We see uh, just time and time again them. Uh, there are some elder guys that you just watch this season. Uh, I mean, I know it's a little bit different, but like Le'Veon Bell at times doesn't look like he's going so quick anymore. I just don't know what Jay Ajayi has left. I think for minimum price, it, it's fine, but I think I would rather play, and this is kind of great. I think I'd rather take a shot on like a Johnny Holton. <laughs> than him, which is crazy.
0: Well, Johnny Holton enjoys one route sprinting down the field.
1: <laughs> he is, he has so many unrealized air yards. It's just crazy. So the fact that he moves up the depth chart, uh, I really am keen on these Pittsburgh guys trying to get exposure to all of them. I know it's probably likelier James Washington or Deontay is the guy, but I feel there's value to be had on that team. So Uh, You just need one long one with him. And you're right. He does only have like one route, but he also has like close to 400 unrealized air yards. So they try and get the ball to him downfield. If he could just hang on to one, you know, it would be a good day.
0: He seems like someone I would want to play in showdown versus an actual main slate and take the gamble that way. Like just for me, for the Pittsburgh offense and just the players that would want to play from that game, it would be everything un Mason Rudolph related. So the running backs yes. on the ground and the defense. That's probably the only places that I'm going.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's the skill players. Definitely no Mason Rudolph for me.
0: Yeah, wide receiver injuries right now uh, as we speak. Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Cooks, Emmanuel Sanders, Corey Davis, Julio Jones, Sterling Shepherd, Tower Lockett, Philip Dorsett. Deontay Johnson, Nelson Aguilar, and Tim Patrick are all likely in for Week 12. Auden Tate, Deshaun Jackson, Paul Richardson, Robert Woods, Mohamed Sanu, Juju, and A.J. Green all likely out or already ruled out. Some of that could change, but that's the percentages that we're playing right now. You talked about the Philly passing game and how you can take advantage of the Eagles. Is Alshon or potentially... Let's say Alshon is inactive. He's a late inactive. Would that lead you towards Nelson Aguilar at 4100
1: bucks? So... I have a hard time going with a chalky Nelson Agler. I know earlier in the season I, see, see it worked thing, out.
0: Here's the thing, though. I don't think that he would be chalky because we wouldn't know this news until Sunday.
1: Well, the other thing is that Jordan Matthews kind of worked his way in pretty quickly and kind of, you know, shot up this depth, depth chart. I think he had six targets last week. Uh, I think Aguilar was around nine off the top of my head. And I think there's going to be no ownership on him comparatively to Aguilar. And we just see time and time again, like the guy said, uh, you know, helping well, who was a child out of a fire that, that, uh, you know, Nelson Aguilar can't catch. We saw it again last week with the game on the line and, Against Seattle, of course, I'm fine with it. I think they would run a pretty condensed offense without Jeffrey. I think you would see a lot of the tight ends. Obviously, I think you'd see a lot of Aguilar, but I think Jordan Matthews could sneak his way in. And I would want almost as much Matthews as I would want Aguilar. I think he would be a fine play. I think you would see probably close to double digit targets. And for that reason, I can't like I can't give it too strong of a take at 4100. You know, against him. So
0: normally on this show, we do talk about GPPs, but we only talk about you know regular people not the ricky sanders of the world putting dumping in you know 60 lineups or davis who dumps in like 800 somehow i don't even know how that's possible but you know three lineups maybe up to 10 depending on the lower stakes of what we're talking about here so i'm looking right now julio beckham and parker project to be the three highest owned wide receivers right now obviously that could change i'm good with fading julio and parker but i definitely want to play beckham
1: So I'm torn there. I definitely want to play Jarvis Landry. That's been a guy who has been so money for me this year at like 2% ownership. And I mean, you look at our projected targets between him and Odell, 28% of the market share for Odell on Daily Roto, 26% for Jarvis Landry. We've got the ownership about 12%, which, which might be low to Jarvis Landry's like 3%. And to me, uh, I love the volume of Landry. They've actually been looking to him in the red zone a little bit too. So I don't know. I'm I'm torn on Beckham. I definitely want to play some Julio. I just Okay, so he's not on the injury report. He was injured a bit this week. I'm just scared that Calvin Ridley is actually the better receiver play once again. I mean, Julio again has been allergic to the end zone, and Ridley was in one of, or was in my tournament winning lineup last week. Atlanta, a funnel to the pass, you know, defense. I think if I'm running a three max, and you you do like that Atlanta team, I think it's fair to go with like a a double stack with Matt Ryan because the only way he's going to get you there is if he throws for 300-plus and multiple touchdowns. I think both Julio and Ridley would probably have to go over 100 in that scenario. So I, I don't want to take too strong of a stand there. Um, I can tell you some under-owned receivers I like this week. I don't really have too strong of an opinion about these guys at the top. You know what? how I, how I think. True. Well,
0: how, how about this? So, so the, the one guy I do think that comes in with almost no ownership and it looks like he's going to play against a bad secondary is probably lock uh, of all the expensive guys. I think he comes at the lowest own. And as it pertains yeah. to Beckham versus Landry, where Odell's had the toughest wide receiver schedule so far for wide receiver ones, it does seem like they actively want to get him a big game. And this is just pure narrative talking. this is the right situation yeah. for that, that for the OBJ, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Like let's make the guy happy. Uh, Uh, And I can actually see them – they had the ability to do that against Miami this week. But the one I'm really looking at uh, in sort of that middle – not necessarily middle tier, the upper middle tier, I think DJ Chark at $6,400 is a smash play against the Titans.
1: Me too. Me too. DJ Chark, he kind of proved a lot to me last week in the sense that I thought – There was maybe a chance that D.D. Westbrook was Nick Foles' guy, but it turns out that D.J. Chark is just the number one receiver here. And you look at the ownership projection, that's one of the guys on my list that I have circled to be, like, the potential tournament-winning guy that you could pivot off some of these chalky receivers. D.J. Chark is on my list. I mean, uh, you look at his market share for us, about 25% compared to the guys that we were talking about. It's, It's close, right? We're talking 26, 27, 28 for the top guys. Uh, a 35% share of this team's receiving touchdowns. We have a projected for. I think DJ Chark, you know, Leonard Fournette, another guy who's been allergic to the end zone and DJ Chark in a game that most people aren't going to be on, but let's say you're playing Derrick Henry and you know, you, you want it to be a competitive game environment. I think DJ Chark is a guy you could run it back with and have like a mini game stack while game stacking other games and it would be a really sneaky approach to this week. So I'm definitely on board with DJ Chark in lineups with Derrick Henry. He's going to be a guy that I boost.
0: I think you could just play him even without Derrick Henry if you could squeeze in enough running back help even at more expensive prices that if you made him your most expensive receiver, those lineups would be somewhat viable. I think so at least. Uh, what What do we do with Cortland? Sutton, who expects to probably project around like 30, 35% of the market share, but is in a situation where you can see a lot of running and draws a horrendous matchup with Tredavious White.
1: Yeah, this one isn't my favorite, unfortunately. I mean, I I like Cortland Sutton. I mean, Allen has kind of impressed me here, but I don't think it's a great matchup for Sutton. It's a guy who I've kind of had my eye on recently and Noah Fant. Just Buffalo has been too tough on them. You got a 16-point implied total. I don't think this is the spot for either of them, unfortunately. I know Tradavius White is only like a top 25 corner, you know, in terms of pro football focus, which is not something we should be overly scared of. I'm just kind of petrified of the pace of this game and the fact that we have uh, the Broncos projected for basically the least amount of plays of any team this week. And whenever you have that, I mean, there's only so many opportunities. I know it's a condensed offense, but I think this is a pass for me at Courtland Sutton this week.
0: So if you were to pay down at receiver, we kind of identified Nelson Aguilar, who obviously becomes fur... A far better play if Alshon is somewhat or if Alshon is inactive come Sunday and then you get the benefit of people not reacting in time then he comes in with lower ownership the two that I really find myself gravitating towards if I need the cap relief one would be again Russell Gage uh, just getting a part of that Falcons offense against a pass defense he also had a touchdown overturned last week and the other one was Alan Hearns for the Dolphins uh, it seems like everyone's just going to Parker Hearns was highly involved last week they just re-signed him he's you know the, the, the dizzies aren't a problem anymore for him he's $3,300
1: yeah that's a player I'm definitely willing to take a shot on I agree with you we've got him for like a 15% market share I think it's pretty much you know a guarantee most weeks the Dolphins will be playing from behind I really like those calls I want to add another name to the list Anthony Miller I know this Bears team is insanely frustrating and basically Drew Dinkmeyer and I have had a joke throughout the entire season, in both basketball and football, that we're paying the Mitch tax in each sport. Mitchell Robinson for basketball is just a guy we like to roster who's volatile and Mitchell Trubisky in football is a guy that we keep going back to because you look back to last year, he won a million on multiple times and now it's like, he just forgot how to play and you just keep waiting for that bounce back week. I know he has been horrific, but what better bounce back week than against the Giants? You've got basically his three receivers rating as the best top or the top wide receiver cornerback matchups on Pro Football Focus. And I think people, if they're going to take a shot on Trubisky, which I think you know you got to be brave to do, most are just going to go with Allen Robinson. And we're talking about a guy with like a 16% market share. We've got him actually slightly higher than Allen Hearns in our rankings, even though they're similar. I think he's the same kind of guy as Hearns. And I think people right now, I don't think it's crazy to say, are more confident to roster Fitzpatrick in stacks than they are Trubisky.
0: I could see that. So, Mitch Trubisky was lifted from the injury report today. I thought all week it was going to be Chase Daniel, and I don't understand why it's not Chase Daniel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand the benching, and then, or they supposedly he was hurt. I don't, I'm not sold that was the case, but I don't understand what they're doing just in general. I think they're trying to, you know, give Trubisky the extended look and then if they have, you know, definitively decide that this is the end for him, they'll move on next year. But don't you think, you know, this has been a long enough look? I don't know, you tell me. Uh, But I think Trubisky, if there ever was a week he were going to succeed, it would be this one. I've said that three times this year. But seriously, this Giants secondary is horrendous. I mean, you look at DVOA for the Giants, 28th in passing DVOA. Drew has called it one of the worst passing defenses he's ever seen. And whenever I watch him, teams are marching up and down the field. And what naggy does and he hasn't been great at it is scheme guys open and every once in a while you know you get these underneath guys like taylor gabriel and anthony miller popping and according to the recent market shares i i just think miller's the the better option here I would say that if it was me and I was willing to, I wouldn't stack the bears. That's just
0: not something I'm going to do with the minimum amount of lineups that I'm going to play. I think I would lean towards Gabriel over Miller here, just because if they do throw the ball deep downfield, the higher a dot throws just as a median would tend to go to Taylor Gabriel over Anthony Miller.
1: The problem is they don't do a whole bunch of that, so no. <laughs> I'll take Anthony Miller re- racking up the, the receptions down under and hope it, it exceeds 100 for the bonus.
0: Uh, if Auden Tate and A.J. Green both sit, you're probably going to project like a 30% market share for Tower Boyd, which probably doesn't do you any good against the Steelers. But what about Alex Erickson, who we've seen pop in a few spots, or is this just a Ryan Finley is the quarterback, don't play anything associated with him?
1: No, I don't want to give up on them so easily. And the fact that Pittsburgh has been so good against these slot guys with Tyler Boyd uh, kind of makes me think that there could be a funnel effect here. I mean – The issue is how good Pittsburgh's defense is played. This could be a total shutdown. But I do think even in a total shutdown scenario, someone has to catch passes here. And I think Alex Erickson Erickson is a nice little call there. I think it's something like Tyler Boyd, Cooper Cup. And I forget who the third slot receiver is. This Pittsburgh team has held the four fantasy points per game. It's just been ridiculous this year. Uh, So if it's going to go elsewhere, I mean, Erickson's a guy who got over 20% of the market share. And, you know, even if you're dead through three quarters and he hasn't done much because of the likely game flow, they'll still be thrown in the fourth quarter. So, you have you know, an opportunity to kind of salvage at the end. I think Alex Erickson is in the same category as some of those other guys, except for the fact that, you know, with Trubisky, with, with the Bears receiver, you might get them in a bad game script where if they're up, they forget to pass. I don't think you're going to get that with guys like Hearns or Erickson where the teams are almost assuredly going to be behind.
0: I would tend to agree. I like the Bears to cover the six this week, solely because yeah. they still have a really good pass defense, and I think that gets overlooked because they just haven't been good overall. Uh, and you can run on them, which would lead me to Barkley a little bit, but if they can just jump out in this game. And like you mentioned, the Giants' pass defense is a sieve. like It is not good. Yeah. That if they can just get up 10 nothing somehow, it just might be run, run, run the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, that that clearly has to be what scares you. But I mean, if you're rostering bears, you 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 know the risks. Let's just put it that way. You know what you're you're playing with fire.
0: So overall, uh, at quarterback, Jameis is going to be in. Trubisky is going to be in. Matt Stafford has already been officially ruled out. Is this a week to go back to Kenny Galladay because Driscoll is projected to be top three owned. Uh, at the quarterback position my one good call last week play Jeff Driscoll uh and even this week I still kind of like Jeff Driscoll a lot because he's still so cheap but I think everyone will just get away from Kenny Galladay based on what we saw last week but it's not like they weren't trying to get him the ball they just didn't get him the ball that he might be one of these guys in the like mid-tier pricing that maybe doesn't like rate out well in an optimizer but overall he's still their number one guy and he still is an immense talent no one's gonna own him
1: yeah so that pains me to hear that you've got driscoll projected that high because uh daily roto's ownership projections are a bit lower on him and i was kind of excited to play him because if you saw my you know tournament lineup last week it was josh allen and john brown and i kind of think that jeff driscoll and kenny galladay has a chance to be that on daily roto i write a, a stacks article every week and my favorite stack this week just like looking at the pricing is Driscoll and Galladay in a single stack. And I think it's similar to last week where because the opponent is so like poor, you don't have to run it back with anyone. You could just go with the two of them and play some of the guys that you view as like the best plays around them. And since Driscoll took over the starting, you know, duties, Kenny Galladay's led the team in targets each week. So like he was disappointing last week, but he still tied for the team lead. And you look at his individual matchup against Josh Norman I mean, Norman used to be a guy that you feared, but his 1.52 yards allowed per coverage snap, ninth worst in the NFL amongst corners that have played at least 50%. And when he's been targeted this year, 133 quarterback rating. So I am not concerned whatsoever about these corners here. I am full go on Kenny Galladay. You had you know uh, Driscoll last week approach 110 QB rating. He brings you the running. And I've heard some people talk about the wind. I looked at the forecast. It's like 13 miles an hour. It's not not anything that scares me. So I love Kenny Galladay this week. I wrote up Kenny Galladay this week, and I hope his ownership stays down. So when I say that, I, I haven't projected his second
0: most right now. I have Baker at number one. So 13% for Baker, 12% for Driscoll, 10% for Matt Ryan. That's still okay. pretty flat. It's not like, oh, yeah. 25% of the field is going to use Driscoll. It's going to be like 10%, okay. which isn't the end of the world.
1: Yeah, and I wonder if that number drops by the weekend. I expect that Atlanta game to get a lot of love. I, I think as the the momentum for some of the other game stacks pick up, maybe he'll be a little more in line with the field. But even so, 12% is no big deal. Uh,
0: one thing we didn't mention, actually two at the running back position. Are you in or out on Bo
1: Scarborough? <sighs> I think because I like this stack so much, I'm mostly out on Bo Scarborough. I don't know what's going on with this backfield. I mean, we thought – and projected Ty Johnson to be the guy last week. It looked pretty clear that Scarborough was the one, but because there's the three-headed monster, I worry about the potential to get you to, you know, 20-ish touches. And let's see how we have him projected this week. We've got him for a 46% market share of the TDs, which is obviously good, but 1% of the targets. So you really do need him to have basically the kind of game we were talking about for Benny Snell. And I guess it's possible against Washington. I just worry that when they get in the red zone, Driscoll uses his legs. I mean, he's got like 13 rushes. He he is a touchdown over the course of the last two weeks. I just worry that they won't give it to the back. And that kind of limits the upside of a guy who doesn't touch the ball in the passing game. So I think I'm mostly out on Bo Scarborough.
0: The other one was Brian Hill is going to go from 30% ownership to probably like 1% ownership by the
1: time Sunday (laughs) comes around. Is it a week to go back to Brian Hill? If you think he's going to be 1% owned, I think it is. I think he was still busy in the passing game. And like I said, like if I'm going to go cheaper at back, I want it to be more of a receiver. Guys like James White, who can, you know, you're rostering at a low price. They just can just get there on receiving volume. And we've got Brian Hill projected where is he? Uh, I looked at it earlier. Almost double digit in terms of targets, and he's 4,900. So you think about it, you know, not much difference between him if you could get some of the rushing workload as well and like a $4,900 receiver. So if you really think 1%, I'm okay with it. The problem is Tampa Bay is a, a team that I've been fading running backs against all year long. They are the premier funnel to the pass type defense. You got the Jets who are kind of the same way. Um, but basically, I've faded a back, especially the you know the heavy workload backs against them every week. And it really hasn't beaten me to this point. So My initial instinct was to fade Hill, but if you're going to get 1% ownership on a guy that can at least catch passes, it will give me kind of pause
0: there tight end injuries there are a ton so likely in it does seem like george kittle is going to end up playing that's not a part of the DraftKings kings main slate but he should be in gerald everett tyler higby dawson knox delaney walker ed dixon is out he's going to be placed on injured reserve but jeff huerman ends up look like he's <laughs> going to return for the broncos which i do think kind of sticks a fork into Noah Fant just a little bit because we haven't seen fant without emmanuel sanders but with Hewerman in i'm not sure how that affects his market share like out or already officially ruled out hooper vernon davis who was just placed on injured reserve josh hill ed dixon luke wilson david njoku who they thought was going to come back turns out he's not seth devalve uh, for jacksonville josh oliver for jacksonville the irish assassin Nicole Leary, is going to be the only <laughs> tight end that they have going on evan ingram's not going to play and Rhett ellison is not going to play either which i guess could be if it wasn't such a bad matchup for uh, the Giants, maybe you could look to like Caden Smith, the most millennial name of all time. <laughs> Come on now, give your head a shake, parents. But I don't know what to do at tight end this week. It's where you probably have to save the money. Right now into most of my lineups, I have Dawson Knox at three grand penciled in.
1: I'm completely fine with him. Vance McDonald is definitely the guy that I like. I mean, if you don't have faith in those Pittsburgh receivers, I think you probably should have faith in Vance McDonald. Uh, I mean, a Cincinnati defense who's been, you know, mediocre against tight ends, a team that will be without Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner. I mean, I'm sure Samuels will have some of that workload, but we had him projected at the beginning of the week with Juju in around like a 15, 16% market share. It's up to 20, and I think that's a really fair number. Uh, you know, Mason Rudolph isn't a guy who will take the cover off the defense too much, and when he does, it's usually a miss to Johnny Holton. So we know over the middle of the field, uh, Vance McDonald is, is probably the guy. So I think there should be enough ball Volume there at 3,500 to feel good about him, especially if we're going to get the Zach Ertz chalk. And I'm a sucker for like young tight end talent. Just ask anyone at Daily Roto. I spent all last year touting Mike Gesicki. I've loved Noah Fant this year. But like you mentioned, Hireman's back and this Buffalo team has held tight ends to like they've been the best defense comparatively to season average versus tight ends. So I know they're creative in the way they get the ball to Noah Fant, but having more competition and having that just dominant defense against the position scares me. I'm more likely if I'm playing the, you know, young talent game to go Mike Gisicki uh, against Cleveland with them playing catch up, kind of like Alan Hearns. I think it's for similar reasons, a guy you could go to, you're looking for a score this week, though. I mean, it's pretty evident. If you're not playing Zach Ertz, who I think is the one guy who you can feel confident has that, like, 100-yard ceiling. You're just looking for a guy to catch four or five passes and find the end zone. I feel the best about Vance McDonald catching the four to five passes. We'll see if we can get him in the end zone.
0: Yeah, I would worry about the end zone potential of Vance McDonald. Ownership-wise, yeah. it does look like Ertz and Goddard are going to be number one and two. So if people are paying up at tight end, it's for Ertz. If they're paying down, it's for Dallas Goddard. And then Dal- uh, Darren Waller coming at 9%. I'm just kind of off Waller. I know the matchup is nice, but he's his market share has been way down recently since, yeah. the, since Oakland went on this winning streak. I actually think someone like Foster Moreau, who they use Me in the too. red zone, could – he could catch two touchdowns in this game I mean it's not likely but he could that is how they use him in the Jets pass defense fucking sucks so that could be <laughs> a spot where you look at but just if the pay up options like there's no Hooper he's the most expensive there's no Evan Ingram he's the fourth most expensive then you have like the Cooks Hollister now without Ed Dixon around and it looks like no Luke Wilson I initially was way off of him but I might come back around he's only $4,300 I think Greg Olson's in a nice spot at $4,100 the issue is is with the lineups that I'm trying to construct these guys are still too expensive
1: right I mean I think John Smith at least has a chance this week as well at 3,600 well what what happens if Delaney Walker is back
0: because it looks like he's trending that way he's 3,800
1: there was a video that came out before I came on by the way that Leone posted that was I think it was the coach talking about how they don't expect to have him back this week so I just remember just remember Mike Leone fake news (laughs) <laughs> that's true that's true I do get my news from some very questionable sources
0: so yeah maybe Johnu. I've been down the Johnu hole a few times not great
1: <laughs> I don't hate Jason Witten either by the way again I do think Vegas is undervaluing the Cowboys and if you subscribe to the fact that they're going to try and shut down you know the areas of strength for the Cowboys it's probably I don't even know which receiver it is at this point but obviously they'll, they'll try and shut down Zeke maybe Cooper I'm assuming Cooper would be the guy. That would mean the the passing volume would funnel elsewhere. Cobb and Gallup have been quite productive, but don't forget about Jason Witten either.
0: I was thinking about that... Um the Cleveland offense everyone likes the Cleveland offense and the not going to make his return. Like Demetrius Harris has been used a little bit. I want to go see what the snap yeah. was for 59% of the snaps on against the Steelers last Thursday, Pharaoh Brown, 39% Steven Carlson, 17% Ricky seals, Jones, 16%. That'll probably be the compliment that they work with. The issue is that if he doesn't get it early, he probably gets none
1: yeah a four-man tight end rotation I was looking at that earlier I I don't know if that's my favorite Uh, I think I'd even rather take a shot on like the two-man tight end rotation on Tampa I mean as bad as they've been I think I I would rather go there
0: well I mean I threw the name out there that Nick O'Leary is going to play for Jacksonville no Seth DeValve no Josh Oliver Ben Koyak doesn't do anything he's $2,700 like you want to be passing against the Titans uh, if anything they're the best against slot receivers but that's going to be be Didi or and or Chris Conley in this matchup maybe Nick O'Leary is a viable option here
1: yeah my only constraint here would be I don't want to go too crazy on the game so I would set a rule at least even if you're doing you know uh, three max mentally that I only want two players from that game at the most so if you're already thinking about Shark if you're already thinking about Henry I'm removing one of those guys to get O'Leary just so I'm not too crazy on this game because I think they're a way better game environment
0: Uh, if Goddard's going to be double digit
1: owned is he a fade (sighs) yes I think the answer is yes there I think I like some some of these other tight ends enough you mentioned Waller's volume is down but if we're going to get him that much lower owned I would rather go there and find some of those cheaper receivers than I would to play Goddard as chalky so I think that's a definitive yes
0: Yeah, I think I would still rather go with a Dawson Knox and roll the dice on his potential upside for a touchdown than, I mean, Gesicki, like, project him out for, like, 15% market share in a game where they're going to be throwing. I can see that, too. Those would probably be the guys that I would go towards unless I did want to play, like, touchdown or bust Foster Moreau to save all of the money or Nick O'Leary touchdown or bust because these guys are just so cheap.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been on like 3% Foster Moreau every week until the beginning of time, it feels like. So I'm completely fine with that. At this position, especially on a week where you don't have like uh, the Kittles who are blowing guys away in terms of value or the, the Kelsey's, it's, it's a week where you could get creative. So if you think Moreau has a chance to score, if you could get three for 20 out of him and he scores and the rest of your lineup is great, then you have a chance to win any tournament.
0: Uh, highest owned defenses I have projected right now are the Steelers, Cincinnati, and the Bears. Shocking to see Cincinnati, but they're so cheap. That's what people are doing. And Mason Rudolph sucks, so I get it. Uh, it's probably just going to be with a lot of game, with a lot of running. They can't get to the quarterback. Probably not a good play. But those are the three that are projected in double digits and just slightly into double j- digits. So it's pretty flat. There's no one to say just fade. I would want to get to Pittsburgh, but there's $4,000. That's a lot of money for a defense in a tight pricing week like this. For me, I think I'm going to run a rotation Of if I can afford it, the Saints or Falcons. But if I'm paying down, I just see the Broncos against Josh Allen, and I like that matchup.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. It sucks this week with pricing because I really do want to like the Falcons. It's just really difficult to you know talk about how tight these other positions are, and then you're going to play pay 3,500 for a defense. But Jameis Winston is. You know the king of getting pressured, and this Atlanta Falcons defense, as of late, has all of a sudden looking like a defense that's bringing the pressure. But you know, I guess I can only talk about them so much because I'm probably going to use limited amounts. I agree. I mean, this New Orleans Saints team against Carolina, Allen looked lost last week against those very uh, Falcons. So I think that the Saints are certainly one. And if you're playing a ton of Camara, you get the you know the uh, correlation there because if they're up. You know, Kamara's is usually running and you'll have, you know, drop backs for the opposing team and Saints can rack up the the sacks and potentially the turnovers. And I mean, there are some other cheap defenses I kind of like. I agree with Denver. I kind of like Detroit, but it's a weird one where they're not even that they're not even that cheap, though. Yeah, they're 3,100, I guess. But it's it's a scenario like last week. You could have run Josh Allen with the defense because he's a running quarterback. It's one of those where people don't think of that correlation. Like Lamar Jackson with um, their defense a lot of time has paid off. And I think Jeff Driscoll has a chance to do that this week with Detroit. So I'm not going to limit it. With some of these rushing quarterbacks, I'm not going to limit the defense with them. And I think that's another sneaky one.
0: What about the Dallas defense at 2,300? I, I think no, okay. not against
1: the Patriots.
0: All right. Well, the correlation you talk about with Kamara and the Saints, he is even more viable because he was returning punts last week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If he's going to return punts, all of a sudden you get one touchdown for both of them. Count me in. Uh, game stack wise, there's only one game projected
0: above 50 points, and that's the Bucks and Falcons. It does seem like people are pretty disinterested in a stack of Jameis, Mike Evans, and Godwin, though.
1: Yeah, I don't really understand why. I mean, I I do worry about this Atlanta defense being improved and all the sacks and mistakes that could come from Jameis Winston. But, like, even if he real-life sucks, he could fantasy smash. I mean, you could get him throwing multiple picks and over 300 yards and three touchdowns, and he's still, you know, up there on the leaderboards and when you're going to play Jameis because of his lack of running you're going to play him with multiple pass catchers the tight ends are extremely frustrating you know you want both Evans and Godwin so I think it's you know sometimes the the quarterback isn't as important as the the receivers in themselves because playing Josh Allen last week, you know, brought you into a John Brown. And I think this week you could see a ceiling game against this Atlanta defense that's been so bad against passes. And what will bring you into getting more of them is playing more Jameis stacks.
0: Well, how about this? What about Scotty Miller? Thirty one hundred bucks. He's the Johnny Holton of the Bucks.
1: I'm okay with Scotty Miller. Honestly, they, they've looked to him downfield a few times. He's dropped some long ones when I've been watching, but I'm certainly okay with him at 3,100 to kind of make that different construction. Um, Yeah, I don't really have too much more to say about that. A $3,100 unowned receiver in a stack that people aren't going to look at is fine with me.
0: All right, Ricky Sanders, dailyroto.com. Yeah. Once again, use the promo code THE PME to get yourself a discount at dailyroto.com. Tell everyone where they can check you out on the social medias and what you got coming up over the weekend in terms of content.
1: In terms of content, I will be on both NBA and NFL. I've got double duty tomorrow, but on DailyRoto.com, we give you NBA content seven days a week. We give you NFL content. You can find me on Twitter at rsandersdfs. I'll probably be tweeting dad jokes and or some terrible puns.
0: All right. Coming up next, Dr. Jesse Morse from the Fantasy Doctors. So stick around. Welcome back to the Pat Mayo Experience. Joining me now on the line from the fantasydoctors.com. It's Dr. Jesse Morse talking about some longer-term injuries. Doc Tyreek Hill hurt his hamstring in Mexico. Is this going to be a significant injury coming out of the bye week, or does this have anything to do with, like, elevation problems in Mexico City?
2: Good question. Um, I think it's a combination of both. Um, most people don't realize that Mexico City is about, I think I want to say at least a half a mile higher than what Denver would be. So there it's, it's pretty high. So that starts leading to dehydration issues, which leads to higher risk of straining. Traditionally, we don't see many hamstring strains this late in the year, but we've had a bunch this year. Um, but then at the same time, he made the comment saying that um, he actually didn't feel too bad and he, he kind of wanted to go back in, but they kind of held him back. He did get an MRI, um, and he was able to, um, actually, uh, say that it was mild, which is the best case scenario. They happen to have a buy this week. I'd put him 50, 50 at next week, uh, and, and, and probably closer to 80, 90% by week 14. So, uh, as long as he doesn't re-injure it. So could have been a lot worse. I think he kind of got lucky.
0: Uh, Damian Williams was also injured in that game. He hurt his ribs as a running back. That's more problematic than almost any other position. Would you expect to see him back anytime soon?
2: So I think they're probably going to be a little more careful with him. As we saw with Emmanuel Sanders, who is probably not taking as many hits as Damian Williams would be if he, you know, running the ball, um, these hurt. Um, and, and, and whenever you can wear the flak jacket, but that prevents new injuries, but it doesn't exactly help with the current one. Um, You can put a little local block in there, but that's kind of risky, like a little steroid or local numbing block. But the issue with these is that every time you breathe heavy or run, um, your lungs have to expand and the cartilage in between your ribs have to expand, which then leads to this further causing more pain. So I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him back to week 14 or even 15. Uh, And since they have McCoy, who maybe should be okay. Um, and they still have Darrell and maybe Darwin. I don't think they're going to rush him back. I just, I have a feeling they're kind of, kind of let him heal.
0: All right. So be cognizant of that. Even if you're in the Tyree kill situation, if we do project him to be back and he doesn't re-aggravate anything, if your trade deadline hasn't passed, there might be a panicky owner looking to get rid of Tyree kill. It might be a nice time to buy if you're already entrenched into the playoffs. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Cause I mean, we know he's a beast when he's healthy and on the field. Like there's no question.
0: All right. So the Pittsburgh guys seem to be a bit more concerning because they're out of it. I mean, they're not completely out of it, but if they end up losing to the Bengals somehow, but Juju and James Conner both going to miss week 12. Which mm-hmm. one do you think that we see first?
2: Juju? Um, Juju's got two injuries, uh, concussion, which I'm not overly concerned about, although everybody's a little different. Um. The knee, we don't really know what happened. Apparently, he was wear, wearing a pretty big brace on it, and 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 that is a little more concerning to me, especially since he's, I mean, talented. He hasn't really showed it much this year. They don't really have much to play for. Connor, on the other hand, re-injured his shoulder, uh, whether or not he wants to admit it, <laughs> um, which was my concern because these the level of his shoulder sprain Don't heal in three weeks like he wanted to, especially not with what he does uh, in the nature of his position. So hypothetically, he's probably not back for at least two weeks, maybe closer to three weeks because you don't want to return again and then leave again early, which is very likely to happen if he comes back too soon. So I think Juju is a higher likely uh, to return, but he's he's been awful. I mean, he's been so bad.
0: No, it hasn't been good for Juju this season. Uh, Jordan Howard is questionable for Sunday against the Seahawks, yet he has not been cleared for contact yet with a stinger issue. I assume that means he's not playing?
2: So I'm a little surprised here. Um, There's something going on more than we think. Um, Why I say that is because traditionally a stinger injury only lasts about 24 hours maximum. That's the definition of it. So the fact that he's continuing to have issues and it's been almost two weeks or at least 10 days means that they either have some lingering nerve issues uh, that haven't resolved or they found something on his neck MRI that's not responding the way they want it to. Um, The fact that they haven't cleared him and it's already Friday is not a good sign for his status. if they cleared him yesterday or today, I say, yeah, it is what it is. But the fact that he hasn't returned even to practice yet is quite concerning. Even if they only labeled a stinger, there's something else going on here.
0: If he was activated on Sunday and they said that he was going to play, would you have problems playing him? No,
2: I'm not. This injury doesn't overly concern me from a generalized injury. If I saw his MRI and said, all right, there's this, uh, lesion, or there's this herniated disc. That's a different story, but if they clear him, that means they're confident that, uh, this injury is not life-threatening and that he can return. Is he at high risk for getting another stinger? Yes. Um, can he return to the game if the stinger sensation goes away? Yes. Um, if he ever has what we call a stinger and numbness and tingling of both arms at the same time, that is immediate disqualification, immediate, Do not play ever until you figure out exactly what's going on. So if it's only one arm, not overly concerning. If it's both arms at any point in time, that's a huge red flag. And that may be what's going on. Uh, But if he's active, I have no problem playing. him.
0: Uh, When the week started out, it didn't appear like George Kittle was going to play with this quad injury, yet he seems to have progressed throughout the week. It now looks like, Kittle, Sanders, and Debo Samuel, who has a shoulder injury, are all going to be active Sunday night against the Packers, while Matt Breda and his ankle problem will not be active. At least that's what it looks like on a Friday evening. What would you think about Kittle here? I've reinserted him into my rankings at number two behind Zach Ertz. At tight end this week, it's almost one of these things where if George Kittle is playing, yes, you play him. Would they put him out on the field knowing that he was still injured just as a decoy for this big of a game, or will he be good to go?
2: Um, they did that lot, or in my opinion, they did that last week with Emmanuel Sanders. I knew he wasn't healthy. They still kind of put him out there, whether that was him or the training staff, uh, he re-injured it. Uh, so they kind of used him as a decoy. Kittle really hadn't practiced in from like Halloween basically until like what, two days ago or a day ago. It, it, It was, he had a good two, almost three weeks off. Um, at this point, it is still a pain tolerance issue. Uh, he has probably some swelling in the knee. He's having some ankle issues. We don't know the severity, but uh, I'm pretty confident that he'll be good and he'll be good to go.
0: Uh, Austin Hooper doesn't appear like he's going to play either. That's two in a row for him right now if he misses Sunday. Would you expect him to be out any longer or at least be limited with this knee injury?
2: Um, I'd say at best he's 50-50 next week.
0: Okay, so make other plans is what you're saying.
2: I mean, the problem is they don't really have anything to play for. Um, You can make this worse. You can cause a meniscal tear if um, he doesn't allow this to heal. Um, And uh, these don't heal very quickly. The guys who – he has an MCL uh, sprain. The guys who come back with this injury don't like the brace that, that they wear the linemen are okay with it, but the, the route runners and the running backs, they don't like it. So um, they're kind of very vulnerable when they're back on the field. They don't have any protection. And whenever you twist or whenever you take a hit or, or, or try to pivot hard against your body, the ligament that is preventing you from collapsing is the one he injured. So he's going to have to feel confident in, in, in turning his entire body rotation in the middle of a run and not have pain. So until he can do that, he's probably not going to get back on the field. So I'd say 50, 50 for next week. And I'm still not a hundred percent that he will go. I I, I don't think he will, but, I mean, we've seen crazier things.
0: Uh, just to clarify, Austin Hooper has actually been declared out for week 12, so he will not be appearing on the field against the Bucks. Last one, Marlon Mack had this hand surgery. He missed Thursday night, and Jonathan Williams filled in admirably, much to my dismay. But, hey, he, yeah. went out. he got the job done for your fantasy team. Didn't think that was going to happen. But when do you think we can expect Marlon Mack back? Would it be week 13, or is
2: it sometime more in the future than that? So, um, the fact that he, so we don't know the details of the, uh, actual fracture. Um, if, and if there are, I haven't seen him, but, um, we know that he had surgery. So a standard rule of thumb that our hand surgeon at the fantasy doctors recommends is a minimum of three weeks. So, I mean, you're looking at at least another two weeks, not, not ideal. There's never an ideal time, but, um, I, I it's a little too risky to come back now um in this week or next week meaning uh, 13 or 14 in my opinion i'd say 14 is probably 50 50 but i think 50 uh, week 15 is probably realistic um or semi-realistic depending on how he's feeling how he's holding the ball if if he can't uh hold it with both hands without getting stripped probably not going to get him back out there
0: dr jesse morris fantasy tell everyone where they can find your work over the weekend
2: Yes, so if you uh, have any questions or comments, uh, you can reach out to me at uh, uh, Dr. Jesse Morris on uh, Twitter. Um, You can check me out uh, on thefantasydoctors.com. We have a Patreon page that you can ask a bunch of questions on and check out some stuff there. And then we have a Sunday live stream as well as a bunch of videos and a ton of injury content on the Fantasy Doctors YouTube page. Just uh, Google it. You'll find a bunch of stuff on there. What time does that start? Uh, 1130 uh, Eastern on, uh, on, on Sunday morning.
0: Okay, you can also watch the Pat Mayo Experience live on Sunday mornings, 9:30 a.m. Eastern Time on the DraftKings YouTube channel, the Pat Mayo Experience Facebook page. Remember to play in the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open, fifteen dollars to play, forty-five thousand dollars in guaranteed money. Link is in the description of this video and podcast, just like my updated rankings, DraftKings picks, and everything you need to know. If you Want to get into a draw for twenty DK dollars? Smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and tell me if you were to play ten lineups this week on DraftKings, which one player would be in all ten of them? So you want to get into a draw for fifty DK dollars? Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review. DraftKings handle and something you like about the show. Winners announced live on Monday show, one p.m. Eastern time. All the same places. Thank you all for watching. Good luck in Week 12. I'll see you next time.